to our seats. We'll continue to, to dive deeper into the peace that Jesus has for us. Now, this week we are concluding this series where we're talking about what it looks like for us to be honest and open about our emotions because we're a church that does everything we do under the banner of discipleship. And we believe that being disciples are those who submit all of our lives to the Lordship of Jesus. And that's not just about the works that we do. It's about the, the feelings that we feel. It's about who we are. It's about we want Jesus to be worshipped when we're alone. We want Jesus to be worshipped in our homes. We want to be with Him, become like Him, and do what He did. Uh, Tristan and I have been talking recently in our fight club about kind of these different visions of discipleship and the way that we were summarizing it this week is that many Christians or many churches kind of view discipleship like this. We're going to give you a content dump, so we want to do a lot of teaching, and then we want to give you service opportunities. So that's pretty much it, right? If you want to be a disciple, we're going to just, we want to just teach, 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 learn, 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 and do, do, do. But when you look at how Jesus made disciples, that is not what he did. No, Jesus taught people and lived with people so that they learned how to be with God. Like to experience an intimate, daily, participatory communion with him. It wasn't just like learn stuff and do stuff. It was like, no, we want to teach you how to like live a life that is with God. And then that leads you into becoming a certain type of person where your character is then shaped by his character. And then now, once, once we're learning to live with God in this intimate relationship and we're learning to become like God in his character, then now we want to go and do the things that God calls us to do. And, and this is why we've been through this series and really why we exist as a church. And so this week we're going to talk about kind of what that looks like in our relationships together. And we're only going to scratch the surface and again, like most weeks, but especially this week, if you want to talk to my wife and my children who are here, they can testify to you how I have a long way to go in this. And yet the good news is, is Jesus is faithful and he is our hope. And thank God I'm not your hope. So here we go. Luke chapter four, beginning at verse 40. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, that is Jesus, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we told all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. 
And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have invited us once again together as your family to fellowship with you, to learn from you, to respond to your worth in song and scripture and prayer, and to lead us as we will come once again to the table where we taste and see that it is finished. God, we long for the day when your son will return and everything will be made right. There will be no more tears, no more disappointments, no more brokenness. Until that day, we just ask you, Father, that by your spirit, you would help us to follow you. You would help us to experience the already of that not yet kingdom that is ours. And help us to do that a little more faithfully today through your word. For the sake of your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. We've spent this time talking about what it means to be honest about our emotions. Considerable amount of time and weeks. And as I thought about this, I thought about a fire. Some of you in here I know like to, to get around a bonfire. It's bonfire season. And a fire can be a very beautiful thing. But a fire can go wrong. You can get too close to the fire. You could say jump into the fire... And guess what's going to happen? You're going to get burnt at best and die at worst. But you could have another response to the fire. You could say, because that fire is so dangerous, because it might burn me or it might kill me, I'm going to stay as far away from it as I can. And so to its exaggerated conclusion, you can freeze, but in all reality, you will, you will at least... Keep yourself from all the beauty and all the warmth that that fire brings. As a church, we've been saying that the emotions are not something we should deny. As a church, we've been saying it is a bad theology that says, when I feel something, I need to reject that because I can't trust it. This hyper, hyper theology of the heart is deceitfully wicked. So anything that I feel, anything that I think, that I just need to like not trust that. I need to just suppress it. I need to just push it away. We've been saying that's not the way of Jesus. We've seen a Jesus who cries, a Jesus who gets anger, a Jesus who gets troubled, a Jesus who experiences this type of loneliness where he goes to his disciples and he says, could you not just watch with me? Could you not just stay awake with me? But as we seek to follow Jesus and break from this way of dealing with our emotions that either indulges them and lets them define us or denies them, then we need to realize we are entering into dangerous territory. Like a fire. 
beautiful territory that could warm us and give us an intimacy like we've never experienced with ourselves, with God, and with each other. Or if we're not careful, could burn us or consume us. The reason is it is very, very, very hard to not be controlled or consumed or callous when you open yourself up to your emotional world and other people's emotional world. If you've not done much of this before, then get ready. All of us in here have stories that have completely overwhelming parts to them. There's a reason why churches don't encourage this. It's because there's the, pow- the potential for it to consume us. I just want to confess, like, this, this is scary to me, even as a pastor, as someone who's done this quite a bit, but as, as I'll relay more in the sermon, has not really done this well from my side of things. This whole coronavirus season honestly has made me want to quit more times than any other season in my ministry. Because the emotional responses to it are so strong from so many directions. To some people it's a moral justice issue. To some people it's simply a political issue. And there's this fear of disappointing people. And yet there's this reality that no matter what you do, you will disappoint people. Now, I don't say that to, you know, pastors like to do this, if y'all don't know. Talk about stuff from up here because you can't say nothing back right now. It's a way to kind of get at people. That's not what I'm doing. It's the opposite. I don't want to share this in any passive-aggressive attempt to slow that down or shut that down because that's people being real about what they feel. And this whole sermon today is going to be about that is not the way of Jesus. What the Spirit, I believe, is showing me is that while we should be considerate and assume the best of others, that followers of Jesus, whether leaders or not, should be able to hear the emotional realities of other people and not lose themselves in it. That seems unbelievable to me, to be honest with you. To let other people have feelings about stuff and opinions about stuff and get to share that with you, to be disappointed in you, to dislike you, and yet you still remain in close relationship with them. That's going to take a miracle, isn't it? But that's how Jesus lived his life. He was okay with other people feeling stuff and thinking stuff and challenging him. And he was okay with feeling stuff and thinking stuff and challenging them. And it didn't mean the relationship had to end. It's why we started this series with our triune God of a father who is unchangeable and stable in the midst of our roller coaster of emotions of a son who incarnates himself into this world to feel everything that we feel and be tempted in every way that we are and yet was without sin. Of a spirit who indwells us and empowers us to live out the fullness of our humanity as we were created to live for the glory of God. And with such a God that is for us, with us, and in us, What we want to be called to do today that I think we see Jesus doing here and I think we see him doing it in all the Gospels is to learn to both care, really care while not being controlled. To really care about our own hearts and other people's hearts 
and yet not let that control us or consume us or callous us. So how do we do that? The first thing we've got to do is we've got, and, and trust me, this isn't like going to solve this. But anyway, here's, here's what we're going to talk about today. That sounded, felt so arrogant. Here's how you do it. All right. I don't know how to do it. Here's what I think Jesus is doing and trying to help us with. We can go work on this more the rest of our lives. So the first thing is we've got to acknowledge the powerful pull to become controlled, consumed, or calloused by other people's emotional lives or even our own. In this text we see in verses 40 and 41, if you read the context, Jesus is on his ministry. He's announced his great mission statement in chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. I've came to set people free. I've came to heal. I've come to bind up. He's healing people. He's just healed Peter's mother-in-law. And now he's, he's just, all these people are coming to him with various diseases. He's laying hands on them. He's healing them. People are coming who are demon-possessed. He's casting out demons. He's shutting the demons' mouths. Jesus is doing the most amazing work in the history of the world. And yet there's some expectations that come around that from other people. Verse 42, if we could click to there. We will see that Jesus is doing this. He retreats to be with the Father. We're going to come back to that. But, but notice this in verse 42. The people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving. In the parallel passage in Mark, it says that they go to Jesus and they're like, everyone is looking for you. What are you doing? Don't you love us? There's more people to be healed. There's more demons to be cast out. It hurts us, Jesus, that you would be out here. The temptation for Jesus here, the same temptation for us today, as we open ourselves to a world of great need all around us, is to let other people define what our love must look like. If you've not thought about that before, that'll give you a lot to chew on the rest of this week or the rest of your life again is we tell other people, you, you have to do this to love me. This is what people did to Jesus. You have to do this to love me. Wash my feet? Uh-uh. The temptation is to love them more than the Father. The temptation is to love them more than everybody else in the world. The temptation is to love them by being the person they want Jesus to be. To love them by fulfilling their mission. To love them by doing it all himself. We are a church that has said we want to bring the real Jesus. This awesome Jesus who forgives, heals, and delivers to the broken, the burnout, and the bored. And what the Spirit, I think, wants to say to all of us is be careful that you get what you wish for. We are the broken, the burnout, and the bored. We've been sent to the broken, the burnout, and the bored. We want to see the broken, the burnout, and the bored come to the table and open their hearts up, and the Spirit's saying, now what? Okay, you wanted all that. And if we're honest, it can become quite overwhelming to bring our own stories and emotions out, to let others do that, and to go out into a world of deep brokenness. Some have joked about Soma churches in the earlier days, and if you don't know our church planning background, it's the larger family of churches that we're primarily connected to. 
Some people would say, uh, oh, y'all are like the Marines or the Navy SEALs in church planning because y'all don't just kind of have a, a pop-up, you know, event and call people to come and send out mailers. Like, y'all actually go out there and, and organize your lives. Your homes are like where church happens. That's crazy. Like, some people think that's crazy if you don't know. We've even spoken of ourselves as being first responders who go out to the broken burnout of the board instead of just running a hospital where people can be sent if they want to come. But consider this report from the EMS world, so changing worlds to the worlds of first responders. At the EMS website, it says, it's no secret that first responders, including EMS providers, experience high degrees of workplace stress, traumatic calls, poor sleep quality, long shifts, lack of downtime, Low salary, low job satisfaction combined to make EMS one of the toughest jobs around. For these reasons, EMS providers are at high risk for burnout, anxiety, depression, PTSD, and suicide. According to the Department of Health and Human Services, suicide is a public health crisis in the U.S. Estimated 40,000 Americans committing suicide annually. And 4%, nearly 4% experiencing suicidal ideation, ideas, thoughts, plans every year. But research in first responders such as police officers, firefighters, and EMS providers indicates an alarmingly higher percentage. In one study, it was revealed that 15.5% of firefighters had attempted suicide at least once during their career. Furthermore, a recent retrospective study of death records found EMS providers were more likely to die by suicide than non-EMS providers. Why am I sharing this? The people going on the rescue to res going to rescue people. If you're not careful, you can become more infected by it than those you're going to help. This is a reality that we've got to, to own. Like, I, I, I forgot to print the quote, but the quote by Nietzsche, God is dead, guys, so like, don't go read him and trust everything he says. It's basically be careful when you're dealing with monsters that you don't become one yourself, that if you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares back into you. There are great temptations when it comes to caring for people. And loving one another well. This is not for the faint of heart. Because we are committed to doing this. It's not some psycho babble, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's what Jesus did. He went into the mess. He became flesh and dwelled among us. And we believe Jesus is able to raise the dead. We believe that. Help our unbelief. But as a church, we want to go there. We want to show up on the scene. We want to step into that room where that just happened. We want to step into that story with all that mess, with all that trauma, with all that abuse, with all that abandonment. And we want to share of a Savior who has come to redeem everything. But it's a lot to take in. And the temptations of the enemy are not going to stop just because we want to do that. I would, I would propose they're actually going to come even harder against us. 
Some of the temptations are going to be in a way that we let it control us or to be to escape. So like all of a sudden, we step into, hey, I'm going to share my story. Whoa, hey, I'm going to listen to your story. Whoa, hey, I want to know how you're feeling right now. And all of a sudden, some of us, the temptation is going to be just to escape. And that's a, that's a way that you're being controlled by as well. I'm overwhelmed, so I just can't do that. Another way, though, the opposite is to becoming entangled or this word enmeshed. And that is now you, you, where you begin and the other person ends loses. It loses its reality. So now your feelings are my feelings. It's a, it's a distortion of an incarnational theology that says I'm with you. It's like, no, I lose who I am and now I am you. You can't sleep, I can't sleep. And then there's a third way, which I would call an empty endurance that says, okay, I know everybody around here is talking about this. Uh, I, I think that sounds good. Wink, wink, cross fingers. I'm just going to keep myself here on the surface, though, and keep serving. This is how, this is how some of us deal with this. I'm going to give superficial agreement to all this stuff, and I'm going to just serve really hard because I've learned that that keeps people off my back in church. And it does, right? If you're the best server and the superficial agreeer, people are going to say, man, I just love so-and-so. They're just a servant and they're always doing well. I'll regret saying this maybe like, that is not what we want for you at Matthew's Table Church. We don't want you to be comfortable doing that. That is not the good life of following Jesus. However many awards you may have received in some other place. Jesus refused the temptation of either ditch. To just escape and not care about people really anymore. Or to let himself be so entangled with what they want and what they need. That he forgot who he was and what God had sent him to do. Now the fancy psychological term for this is codependency. Some people don't like the church using words like that that aren't in the Bible. So another, if you don't like that word, you could just say it's a form of idolatry in relationships. It's where you forfeit your inside for the sake of someone's outside. Jeff Schulte says it that way. I think that's a great way to do it. I'm going to forfeit my inside for your outside. If you look good on the outside, I'll be okay on the inside. Now, it's not being affected by others or caring for others or needing others or depending on others. No, that's just love. It's when you manage that because you can only be okay if other people are okay with you. It can look like love. You can look like you're the most loving, serving, self-denying person in the world when you're actually the most selfish person in the world. Because you're managing all your relationships so that they approve of you and like you and really it's just so you can go to bed feeling good about yourself. It's very common and it's very dangerous. Here's what it looks like in some weird world for me. I share things on GroupMe and, and nobody hearts it. So guess what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to share anymore. I'm not going to share anymore. Now, why was I sharing then? Hopefully, it's mixed motives. 
But part of it had to be, he's like, I wanted, I wanted that, I wanted to see you hard in me. It looks like this. I can't fix you. I've tried to fix you. But you're not changing, so I'm, I quit on the relationship. Because really, I just wanted to see that I could fix you, and I wanted to feel good about myself. It's when this happens. My faith is only as strong as your faith. So at home, oh, Cassie, you want to be in a bad mood? I'll show you a bad mood. I've tried to be faithful half the morning, and you're not trying to be, so I'm not going to try to be. My peace is only as strong as your peace. Okay, you don't have peace, I don't have peace. If, if I can't make you happy, then I'm not happy. See how dangerous this is and controlling it is. We become so connected to other people, we're just like tethered to them. My commitment is only as strong as your commitment. My faith is only as strong as your faith. My sleep is only as possible as your approval and security. My ability to make decisions, oh, golly bum, that just ruins everything. Like, I can't decide where to go eat lunch. You might be disappointed in where I choose. People in this, in this idolatrous codependency making decisions is crazy. So where are you at? How are you being controlled, consumed, or calloused? by engaging with your own and others' emotional world? How do others experience you? How do you experience other people? There are likely some of you in here who think people just are wearisome work. Right? Like you love, you, yeah, you love people. You want to be all about community. But you're just coming to get that fix. And deep down you're thinking, oh, I can't wait till I'm away from all of them. Why? Because you're just managing people. You should be weary from that. Jesus wants us to be weary with idolatrous worship. When you're not enjoying people, you're not loving people, you're just trying to fix people so that you get your fix, it's wearisome. And I have another question to ask you is, what happened to you? Where in your life story did that fear that if you disappoint someone, they're going to abandon you come? This isn't to guilt you or shame you. Where do you have such toxic shame that you think that if somebody else disagrees of you or disapproves of you, that you're somehow not worth anything? Why, why do you not think you can survive people being angry at you? Hurt at you? Lonely with you? Afraid of you? There's a lot of pride in there in our hearts. We're trying to manage all that so we live a lie that always lets us down and it's costing us in our relationships. Say more, we gotta go on. So we've got to acknowledge that powerful pull. The powerful pull of 
of, of stepping into these emotional worlds where there needs to be healing, deliverance, and forgiveness. It's huge. And the, and the joy we have to know Jesus is enough. It's going to bring these temptations. So we want to get ready for that. But the second thing is we've got to learn to love people by leaving them. And I want to put leaving in quotation marks so that we can stay with them. All right, so I want to say that again. We've got to learn to love people by leaving them so we can stay with them. I want to flesh that out. Notice in verse 42, Jesus spends time alone with the Father while other needs exist. Jesus was a busy dude, right? I mean, this guy is going around doing it all. But if you read through the Gospels, Jesus always has time to leave everybody and go be with the Father. Some of us think we're more spiritual than Jesus, right? I can do all this without retreating to be alone with the Father. And I don't know what was going on when Jesus is alone with the Father, but to not stretch it too far, when we see kind of what it looks like at the baptism, what's at least one thing we know that Jesus is hearing from the Father? You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And I don't know, maybe I'm reading behind the lines here, but, but Jesus, it feels like he goes off to the Father. He's in this intimate relationship with God that has priority in his life. And he's being reminded of who he is. of The Father's love for him and the Father's call for him. Verse 43, Jesus has a clear sense also of what he's been called to do by the Father. They want him to stay, but he says, I've got to preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. Jesus is saying like, I love you guys, but you are not everything, and you are not everyone. Verse 44, and Jesus does it. He was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. like He, he lives out his mission in spite of who may disappoint. I mean, just imagine this. They're needing Jesus, and Jesus actually says, bye. That had to sting a little bit. Bye. And again, this is in Jesus' humanity. We're not talking about his omnipresence with now, his exalted son. But one thing that is clear is Jesus, I've taken this quote from Pete Scazzaro and changed it a little bit. Jesus never compromised his integrity to calm his or others' anxiety. That's a profound statement to me. And I didn't come up with it. Jesus never compromised his integrity to calm his or anyone else's anxiety. Jesus wasn't like me and can't send a text message without rewriting it 50 times to think how you're going to feel about it. Lord help. He never compromised his integrity to calm his or others' anxiety. He was willing to leave people who were asking him to stay, not because he didn't care, but because he did care. It's as if they're saying, don't go be alone with the Father. Don't go and help other people. And this is all through the Gospels. We think of John chapter 6, where Jesus has these thousands and thousands and thousands of people, and then he, and then he starts to teach stuff they don't like and makes them uncomfortable. He starts to talk about his body and his blood in ways that challenge them. And you know what happens? Everybody leaves except the 12 disciples. And Jesus is like cool with that. 
Not because he doesn't care about those people, but because he cares enough about them to not compromise the truth. Peter, one of those 12 that stayed later when Jesus is talking about going to the cross, Peter's, Peter rebukes Jesus. You're not going to do that. And Jesus looks at Peter, whom we know he loves and is going to restore, and it's called the rock that he's going to build the church on, and he says to him, get behind me, Satan. And he stays in a relationship with Peter. Golly, if one of y'all called me Satan, I'd probably just think, I'm never talking to that person again, or our relationship will be over. And Jesus is just like, get behind me, Satan. All right. Now let's go keep doing this thing. Jesus is awesome, isn't he? What stability. Then Jesus is talking to him in John chapter 14, and he's like, you know, guys, I'm about to have to leave you, and I'm going to go to the Father. And they're like, don't go. Don't leave us. Don't abandon us. And Jesus is like, i got to go. i got to do this work and finish it, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And they don't understand it. And you can tell they're frustrated. They're confused. They're disappointed. But he goes. In every case, Jesus says, I love you, but I must obey the Father. I love you, but I don't get my life source from you. I love you even if you don't like me right now. You can have all kinds of feelings about that. Thoughts about that. And that's not going to overwhelm me and I'm not going to leave you or abandon you just because of it. It's a cost to it, though. I don't have the text up here, but in the same chapter in verses 28 and 29, this is sometimes what happens, though. It says, when they heard these things, Jesus was teaching them. In the synagogue, they were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. Sometimes people are going to revolt when you stop playing along with the I'll make you feel good if you make me feel good. But again, Jesus was willing to not be like to live in the truth and freedom of love. Jesus does not want to hurt us. But Jesus' being okay is not hinging on how we feel. That's really good news. He can allow us to feel what we feel and not run or give us some sort of phony fix, or he's not so overwhelmed that he can't help us. Jeff Schulte, who has pointed me to a lot of these things in the life of Christ, said he, and if you listen to a podcast I've shared with some of you, he, he tells the story better. But he talked about how they grew up in his home. This is public, so I'm not like betraying stuff. And, and his dad left at an early age. And the way that they kind of dealt with that is the mom always said, we were, all, we were better off without your dad. We were better off without your dad. And that was kind of the refrain in the family for how they, they dealt with it. And he said one day he remembered, he pulled over to the side of the road, he was working on a lot of this stuff in his own life, and he called his mom, or she called him, I can't remember, they're having a conversation, and he just said, Mom, I love you, but I don't ever want to hear you say that again. Do you want to talk about that with the sis sisters? Go for it, but not with me. My whole life has been trying to figure out what it's like to live without my dad. 
And he said he knew that she was going to have some feelings about that. He said it just got real quiet and he could kind of hear maybe she's starting to cry. And his temptation was to start thinking, oh man, why did I say that? Temptation was to, 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 to jump in and say, I'm sorry, Mom, that was rude. But he's like, I, I didn't. I didn't caretake her in that moment. And I didn't know what would happen. Because we know in some family situations, you say something like that, all of a sudden, that was your last Thanksgiving. <laughs> You're going to be there. But in that, out of that response, he said in their situation that they had a closer last 15 years of her life than he had ever had. Because there was a reeling for both of them just to share their reality and to stay in love with another in it. So how do we follow Jesus in caring without being consumed, controlled, or callous? Well, again, I've just got to say this again. It is not by accepting a culture of denial. Jesus wept, was angry. He asked for the stories. We've got to believe that our relationships are a mess worth making. We've got to pull those emotions cards out or just whatever you want to use. And we've got to, we've got to be willing to say to people, how are you feeling right now? And I'm not going to try to fix you so that I feel better. I'm not going to try to be a hero. I just want to hear how you're feel, feeling right now. I want to sit with you in this. And then I want to encourage you as the Spirit leads. We do it also by coming aware of our relational expectations, some conscious, some unconscious. Some of you need to do this in your relationship with Jesus. Some of you, if you're honest, you really don't like Jesus because he's like this. You want a, you want a Jesus who will tell you what you want to hear all the time. You want a Jesus in your image. So what are you asking of him? What are you wanting from others? Some of you say, you got to you got to love me like me. You've got this like a twisted view of the golden rule. Do unto others as they do unto you. Well, I did that for you. You should do that for me. You should be me. This relationship will only work if you, if you become like me. I'm denying who I am for you, so you deny who you are for me. What are you expecting of yourself? What is your relational gospel? is important. How can we live free of this? What is your relational gospel? And what I mean by this is, how do you look to other people to save you? What's that look like for you? I'm going to bring you this. How are you going to save me? You have one. And all these things, though, we ultimately do this in the way of Christ by cultivating a self that is not dependent on other people's responses to us or feelings about us, but is rooted deeply in who we are in Christ. We could say the Christ-dependent self. It, we do need other people. We should depend on other people. This doesn't need to be exaggerated, but we should not seek to manage other people so that we feel whole. They can't do that. It's a fool's errand. It'll never be enough. Your friend, your spouse, your church, your child, your parent will never satisfy the emotional needs of your heart and you will never be enough to satisfy theirs. 
And any attempt to do so is idolatry. Because you've moved from loving God and loving them to ultimately loving yourself. So like Jesus, if we want to be free from this, we've got to be, able to, we've got to be going to the desolate places. That's just, we've got to get along with God. And we've got to let Him tell us who we are. If you don't want to live as a people pleaser, then you've got to be saturated to the depth of your soul and to every place of your story where the loudest voice is, you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. That's got to own you or you will be owned by other people. How might that change how you feel when you come home from work or your Saturday morning? The overflow of God's love for me is settled. God's faithfulness for me is fixed. I'm free now, and I'm setting this other person free. Not to abuse me, but now actually I can set some boundaries out of the security that I have in Christ. can live in the freedom that is uncomfortable, but it's real self-denial. For some of us, the biggest thing that we would do as an act of self-denial is to say, you know, this is how I feel about you right now. This is how I feel about life right now. That's risky business. risky business. And I'm not talking about becoming some filterless float or you think now it's like spiritual to walk around the house, a total mess of where as soon as in the head out of the mouth. No, this is why you go to the desolate place, right? First. You've, you've, you've taken this to the Father. You've set this before Him. And so now out of the security you can go and bring what is good and wise to others. And then the part that surprises me the most is then you can stay with people. When we stay with people in this mess, what we do is we're discipling one another to experience the reality of a God who doesn't abandon us when we are who we really are. We allow people to feel what they feel and take responsibility to feel what we feel. We don't leave each other. We can go to sleep without fixing somebody. We can go to sleep without ourselves being fixed. Because we've experienced a relationship with a God who is actually bigger than all that stuff that we really didn't think he was. To the last thing quickly, and this is pulled from these 11 verses in chapter 5, so don't worry, we're not going to nitpick our way through them. We have to acknowledge the powerful pull of opening ourselves to our own and others' emotional world. We have to leave people so that we can stay with people. That is, we got to cut the cord. You know, I'm, I'm no longer using you for my life source, so now I can actually come closer to you than I ever came before. Because my self is not threatened by your reality. So now we can be real close. Closer than ever. The last thing is we've got to remember, learn to follow Jesus but remember, we are not Jesus. There's this experience that they have in the boat. 
Jesus is calling these guys to be his disciples. But in the center of all this is this overwhelming, overwhelming awareness of Peter is like, whoa, this is not just another man. This is God. He, I mean, if you know the, the Old Testament, this is, this is anybody that knows their Old Testament would be like, oh, Isaiah, Habakkuk, Job. Peter's just having this worship moment with Jesus. So Jesus is saying to us, follow me, love people deeply, lay down your life for your friends, care, but you better never forget you are not me. And if you try to play me in a relationship, that's going to go wrong. Don't play me and don't let other people make you into me. Because you can't give them what they really need. If we become somebody else's good news, we will break under that weight and they will severely be disappointed in us at some point and they'll probably blame it on God. Jesus, although we talk about wanting to have an incarnational ministry, there is many ways in which the incarnation is not, it's not anything we can come near to. We have to even be careful with that language sometimes. Jesus is the only one God-man who can fully sympathize with us perfectly in every way it was without sin. Jesus is the only one that can go to the cross for people. In our Messiah complexes, we seek to sacrifice ourselves in ways that cannot achieve our best intentions. Jesus is the only one that can give forgiveness, not you. You can't forgive yourself, whatever people mean by that talk. Like, you don't have the authority to forgive yourself. And nobody else has the authority to forgive you. So when people are sharing their stories and all this sin is coming out, what they need is to be led to the cross of the Savior who died for our sins, who was our propitiation, who was our purification, because only He's going to be enough. Some of you have said you're sorry a thousand times, and that's all well and good, but that other person is never going to say, I forgive you enough. Only Jesus can give healing. Only He can truly bind up the brokenhearted. Only Jesus can give deliverance. Only he can defeat the satanic strongholds that take root in our lives. So in our relating with other people at these deep emotional levels, we've got to keep Jesus central. We've got to not hand them a mirror so they're showing us how great and loving we are. We've got to both have spotlights pointed on the cross, pointed on the resurrection, where Jesus comes forth from the grave and says, I give new life. I bring real change. The gospel is the only thing that can power us to be this type of loving community that continues to go there in our own hearts, in one another's hearts, in our world's hearts, and not be consumed, controlled, or callous to it. And maybe sometimes it's our love that is keeping people from the love they really need. This is not an excuse for some of you who are like, ooh, boundaries, I wanted to cut everybody off. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about staying close, getting closer actually by not being controlled. 
But sometimes the most loving thing you can do for someone is to say no. Sometimes the most loving thing that you can do is to say, I want to pray for you right now, but I don't believe that's just empty words. I believe that God is going to be with you and give you wisdom. But maybe our so-called love is because most of us don't know Jesus' love like this. I wanted to end, but I can't, I can't end without saying this. Is studies have shown that we tend to seek out people who are at our same level of codependency. Like we tend to be in relationships with people who are like us when it comes to what we're trying to get out of other people, at least our closest ones. Some of us thrive off of it because we're so insecure. We, we, want, we want other people to be okay, so we're okay. Some of us are so addicted to the high of being needed, to being affirmed, and being approved of. And the reality is, is we make an idol out of other people when Jesus is not enough to us. I'm going to say that again. When Jesus is not enough for you, you will make an idol out of other people. And when they let you down, disappoint you, disagree with you, or disapprove of you, oh, you're going to get ticked off. Or you're going to be devastated in despair. You will escape. Or you will become whatever they want you to be. Some of you at the end of your life are going to say, I would have done all this if it wasn't for how all these other people felt around me. Look at the great life that I would have lived, but I had to manage all of your emotions. And guess what? That's not going to be on anybody else but you. As we saw last week from Psalm 16, the sorrows follow those who worship other gods. And if you make people other gods... Just get ready. You will end up probably with a very bitter life in the end because you're going to say, I manage, I spent all my life trying to manage your emotions. When's my day come? Jesus right now wants to set us free from that. God loves you so much. He doesn't want you to let other people become your God and rob you of who you are and the life he's called you to have. He wants you to make deep sacrifices. To deny yourself. But you can't deny what you don't have. In summary, the gospel gives me the power to be myself and allow others to be themselves. Because of the gospel, I can allow you to feel what you feel around me or about me and not have to fix you or give in to you, flee you or fight you, but can stay with you. I can empathize with you, but not be controlled by you. Because of the gospel, I can care about your emotions. I can examine my role in your emotions and I can take responsibility for any role, but not take responsibility for your emotions on your terms. Because of the gospel, I can step into an overwhelming world of my own heart, your heart, and my everyday world and mission. 
and not get burned out or bummed out or numbed out. Because of the gospel, I can accept that I am not Jesus, but there is a Jesus. And I am empowered to love like Him and point others to Him. Because of the gospel, I can accept that the body of Christ is bigger than me. And the presence of Jesus is bigger than me. And I can call the world to something that is better than any one person could experience the body of Christ. The hands and feet of Jesus. And we can learn to stay close and care by not being controlled, consumed, or callous. Father, thank you so much for the security that you give us in Christ. As we come to the table today, we pray again that you would help us to taste and see that you are good. That our sins are forgiven. And that you are with us by your spirit through the new covenant. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You'd close your eyes right now just to help you focus and reflect as we come to the table. As we think about the finished work of Christ as it relates to our tendency to try to manage our relationships so that we simply feel good about ourselves. It's really good news to know that God is not surprised and God has provided for us all that we need to be forgiven and to change. So as you come to the table, consider these questions. What idols might you need to bring? What good news might you need to share today with someone who confesses or you just need to confess yourself? What wounds do you need to share? Where do you need healing? What do you need to profess about Jesus that makes him the true and better healer? What lies do you need to bring to the table? What controlling voices or script is in your head about how people will bolt or abandon you or accuse you because maybe that has happened in your life? And now what is the truth about God's faithfulness you need to lift the cup to today and rejoice? If you're a follower of Jesus, we ask that you come to the table and take the cup. If you're not, we ask that you would come to Jesus. Father, thank you for the good news that is ours. As we come now, God, not you, by your spirit, put our eyes on the finished work of your son. And may we have joy in what he has done. In whose name we pray, amen. Let's come now to the Lord's table. If you're new with us, you can uh, follow and... It'll be explained to you.